Ah, that was interesting. We had a little echo chamber there. I've been accused of that before, but uh, <laughs> looks like they had something in place, and I understand why. First off, welcome to No Nonsense Catholic. I am your host, Matthew Arnold. Great to be with you uh, uh, back live again last week, and I think this is probably why they had one queued up for this week. Um, last week, I was out recovering from the world's most popular disease, Yes, now uh, everyone at uh, Castle Arnoldus has uh, contracted and recuperated from the coronavirus. So it was definitely worth shutting down the entire world for two years so that me and my family could all get COVID anyhow. And like 97% of people who get COVID uh, bounce back and recover from it. Anyway, glad to be back with you. And that's enough talk about that. Uh, Today is a very special day. It is the 2nd of February while we're recording this, and it is the Feast of the Presentation of Our Lord Jesus Christ in the Temple. It is also the Feast of the Purification of the Blessed Virgin Mary, the Purification and the Offering of the Firstborn, both taking place 40 days after the birth of the firstborn in the Jewish culture, so the Purification of Mary and the Presentation of Our Lord in the Temple. It's also Candlemas. Traditionally, this is the day when we go to church, to get our candles blessed for tomorrow's Feast of St. Blaise and the traditional blessing of the throats. So I don't know, you may not be having the blessing of your throat, uh, the throat at your church this year because they're afraid of people being sick, so they're not going to bless people to keep them from, well, I don't know. Uh, (laughs) Again, uh, it's above my pay grade. I'm not going into it. Uh, However, the 2nd of February is also special in Quito, Ecuador, and for devotees around the world of the apparition of Our Lady under the title Our Lady of Good Success. And we're going to talk about that today. Also uh, about how that devotion relates to the two approved Marian apparitions in the United States, Our Lady of Good Help and Our Lady of America. And uh, the very important message that Our Lady has for you today. Also going to take a look at the latest statistics for the newly professed religious here in the United States and spend a little time talking about Marian devotion according to um, the great medieval saint, my my favorite medieval saint and my spiritual mentor, uh, doctor of the church, St. Bernard of Clairvaux. So you can stay tuned for all of that and more. But as usual, to begin the program, we're going to look at the readings for this Sunday's uh, this past Sunday's Mass in the Extraordinary Form, which was the fourth Sunday after Epiphany. And it begins with the epistle uh, from the Romans, verse, uh, chapter 13, verses 8 through 10. Naturally, it would be in Latin. So for our translation, we're going to be reading, as is our kind of new custom here, from the New Catholic version of the Bible. So this is the epistle. Owe nothing to anyone except the debt of love you owe one another. The one who loves others has fulfilled the law. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not kill. You shall not steal. You shall not covet. And every other commandment are all summed up in this. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. Love cannot result in any harm to the neighbor. Therefore, love is the fulfillment of the law. Hey, Richie, by the way, I think you may have an open mic there in the studio. I don't know if it's going out over the podcast, but I'm hearing it in my phone, so I Thank you for taking care of that. And uh, this epistle, St. Augustine said that our love towards our neighbor must have its origin in our love of God. For 
If we love our neighbor, we must love him for his sake. Now, he who loves God, he says, keeps the first four commandments, for he believes in God, hopes in him, loves him, and honors him, while he also loves and honors his parents. But he who loves his neighbor keeps the rest of the commandments also, since that love prevents him from doing any injury to his neighbor, so that he will not kill, not steal, not calumniate, uh, not bear false witness. Thus he fulfills the law for, and now he quotes our good Lord from Matthew twelve forty. upon these two commandments depend the whole law and the prophets. That is love, uh, the Lord your God with your whole heart, soul, mind, and strength, and your neighbor as yourself. And now the gospel from the fourth Sunday after Epiphany, Jesus calms the storm, and it's the version taken from Matthew chapter 8, verses 23 through 27. At that time, he got into the boat, followed by his disciples. Suddenly, a great storm came up on the lake, so that the boat was being swamped by the waves. But he was asleep. And so they went to him and awakened him, saying, Lord, save us, we are going to die. He said to them in reply, Why are you so frightened, O you of little faith? Then he stood up and rebuked the winds and the sea, and there was a great calm. They were amazed and asked, What sort of man is this whom even the winds and the sea obey? As far the words of the Holy Gospel. So I guess the first question is, why was Jesus asleep? Right? And um, church tells us it's so that he could test the faith of his disciples and then confirm that faith by a miracle to teach us not to be scandalized or discouraged uh, if God um, allows us to be afflicted with uh, you know, sickness, poverty, temptations, uh, and same thing for the church. And also he teaches us, uh, teaches us to seek refuge in him and, and encourage us to look for uh, our help in Christ. You know, our Lord was asleep in the boat. Uh, Christ has two natures, the nature of God and the nature of man. So as a man, he was tired, and so he slept. But as God, he could command the winds and the waves. And, and so the weak faith of the disciples was shown by their thinking that because our Lord was asleep, he was powerless to help them. You know, because they didn't understand that as God, his divinity, you know, cannot sleep, but always is watching over us. And he wanted to teach the apostles and their successors uh, that they, as fishers of men, would be exposed to many persecutions and afflictions, but that he would always be with the church. He would always be there to calm the storm. So the boat, you know, Peter's little ship, is a type of the church militant. Uh, with the successor of Peter at the helm, which is then threatened by destruction from this storm. And, you know, and the church has had to contend with many adversaries over the centuries, but, but our Lord is always in her midst. And if at times he seems asleep, be assured that he knows of the sufferings and dangers that threaten the church. And that all at once, you know, when the time is right, he will arise and command the storm by his almighty word and, and give us back the peace and liberty uh, that his, his church deserves. You know, very much the, the lesson that Our Lady came to bring uh, in Ecuador 400 years ago and even in the last century here in the United States of America. I'm going to talk about that later. Uh, but that's one of the things. I, I'm reminded of a story about uh, Pius XI, when he became Pope, you know, he was the successor of Benedict XV, 
And it was a terrible time for the church. It was right after the First World War. And then you have, uh, you know, a, a tremendous loss of faith in the former Christendom and, and the rise of communism and fascism and, you know, crony capitalism, all of these things uh, uh, conspiring against the church, you know, and the rise of, of you know, these atheist uh, philosophies. Trying times indeed. And, and after the ceremonies uh, that, you know, where he was made pope, Pius XI went into the papal office and sat down at the desk, right, uh, of Benedict XV, and he was overcome with fear. And so he knelt down and, and prayed, which is the right thing to do, by the way, when you're, <clears throat> when you're feeling overwhelmed. And he reached out onto the desk, and his hand touched something. You know, things were just the way that Benedict XV had left them, and he discovered it was a little painting, a little picture, a little framed picture that Benedict XV had on his desk. And it was a picture of Christ calming the waves, right? It was, the, you know, Christ calming the tempest when he said, peace, be still. And Pius XI said that was when his fear subsided. And he kept that picture on the desk. He understood why Benedict XV did it. And he said whenever he was worried, he could look at that picture and remember that Christ was there ready to calm the storm. And that's the thing for us. You know, Christ always brings peace to the soul, you know, if your soul's not at peace, then you can definitely recognize the work of the devil. You know, if you're upset, you're nervous, worried, anxious, all those things mean that the devil is at work. God is not the God of confusion, but the God of peace. That's, you know, Thomas Akempis tells us that in the imitation. God is not the God of confusion. He is the God of peace. And, you know, the devil's weapon is confusion. It's his favorite weapon. And, and when people sow confusion, you can bet that they're doing the devil's work. You know, you get all upset so that you don't know what to do. And when you're in that condition, that's when the devil can tempt you to sin. You know, wh wherever there's confusion, there's the work of the devil. But when Christ is active in the soul, there's peace and calm. And everything is clear-cut and straightforward, right? You know what has to be done when you know, Jesus is living in your soul when you have the indwelling of the Holy Trinity. It's talking about the state of grace, you know, and so, you, but very often we find ourselves undecided about things, sometimes important things, um, you know, for young people, especially choosing a vocation in life, that's, that's huge. And, and to make up our minds about these things properly, there's three things that are guaranteed to solve your problems. This is what I call the pat answer, pat for P-A-T, that's prayer, advice, and thought. So you're facing some difficult decision. First thing you do is pray. Pray for light. Pray for guidance from, from the Holy Spirit. Ask for advice. Get counsel from someone that you can trust, whether it's your, your, your parents or your confessor or some trusted friend, someone that, you know, whose counsel has proven to be good. And then thought. Use your head. Use a little common sense, okay, what God gave us. And in the storms of life, when we can, you know, imitate the example of the apostles and call out to God, call out to Jesus, knowing that he's there, ready to calm the storm. When we come back, uh, lots of stuff coming up, including Our Lady's message for you today. So stay with us, and we'll be right back after these messages. back. Welcome back to No Nonsense Catholic. I'm your host, Matthew Arnold, for Virgin Most Powerful Radio. The confusion 
stops here. It is the 2nd of February. It is the Feast of the Presentation of Our Lord Jesus Christ in the Temple and the Feast of the Purification of the Blessed Virgin, and it is Candlemas Day. And, as I mentioned before, in Quito, Ecuador, it is the Feast of Our Lady of Good Success. I bring this up uh, because of her messages. I mean, obviously, the, the Church is in the midst of the greatest crisis of her long history, from mass attendance to vocations to catechesis to the the almost unbelievable liturgy wars that were happening here. All of the all of the bad fruits, all of the consequences of the of the hermeneutic of rupture have put the church in sharp decline for, for decades, for fifty years, okay? But you already know this. Now, what you may not know is that the Blessed Virgin Mary prophesied this situation some four centuries ago, this great crisis of faith and morals in the Church and in the world, and she also offered a supernatural remedy, which is devotion to her. And back in the early 17th century, the Blessed Virgin appeared on several occasions to a Spanish conceptionist uh, sister, Venerable Madre Mariana de Jesus Torres at the Royal Convent of the Immaculate Conception in Quito, Ecuador. And on January 16th of 1599, Our Lady commissioned a life-size statue of herself holding the infant Jesus under that title, Our Lady of Good Success. Uh, The statue was begun by a local sculptor and then uh, completed by the um, archangels, the three archangels, Michael, Gabriel, and Raphael, under the uh, um, watchful gaze of St. Francis of Assisi. That's another story for another time. But uh, Our Lady also prophesied on that occasion uh, about many important matters that pertain explicitly to the crisis of faith and morals in our own day. Uh, she revealed many, revealed many disturbing details to Mother Mariana about our current situation, uh, especially um, beginning in the second half of the 20th century. And we don't have time to, to go into all of that today, but to give you an idea, she, she said the sacrament of matrimony would come under attack, uh, especially by iniquitous laws that will facilitate sins against marriage. Um, she said all of the sacraments would be profaned. There'd be an almost total gen- and general corruption of customs. Innocence will almost no longer be found in children nor modesty in women. Uh, the effect of secular education will be a lack of priestly and religious vocations. There will be uh, corrupted priests who will scandalize the faithful and incite the hatred uh, of the enemies of the Church to fall upon all priests. Uh, The Sacrament of Holy Orders will be ridiculed, oppressed, and despised. And she said this apparent triumph of Satan would bring enormous sufferings to the good pastors of the Church. And then she said the Holy Father would have much to suffer. And she said in this supreme moment of need of the Church, those who should speak will fall silent. Now, I don't have to tell you that those prophecies have come true and are still coming true. Uh, And if this is the first that you're hearing about all of this, I would point out that uh, Mary of Good Success prophesied that this devotion to her under that title wouldn't become well-known around the world until the end of the 20th century. And, you know, I found out about it in uh, the year 1999. And ever since my first visit down to Quito, Ecuador in 2007, I have... Um, spent, you know, 20 years uh, plus now uh, speaking and writing about Our Lady of Good Success. I've traveled all over North America, both the United States and Canada. I've been to South America. I've been to Europe. I've been to Australia. 
Uh, tens of thousands of copies of my booklet and my DVD on Our Lady of Good Success have been uh, distributed around the world. Um, thousands, tens of thousands more of the CDs that I did for the Augustine Institute, uh, plus countless interviews on radio and, uh, you know, including one I just last week. Um, I was going to be interviewed on EWTN radio about Our Lady of Good Success, unfortunately, uh, because of the world's most popular disease. I was prevented from doing that. And, uh, and the thing is, I've never asked a stipend, by the way, for any of those live talks, although I've gone literally all over the whole world. You know, as long as people were able to get me there and put me up, I've been willing to go virtually anywhere just to talk about this devotion. Now, uh, that situation, international travel is not what it used to be. And <laughs> frankly, I'm not what I used to be either. So I think maybe it's time to pass the torch. But, but the reason for all of this is, is simple. It's because Our Lady said that the spread of this devotion and, and devotion to her generally in these times, uh, she linked that to the fulfillment of her final prophecy, which is a marvelous restoration of the Catholic Church. She says, uh, precisely when almost all will seem lost and paralyzed, she said. So even though you know uh, our situation and Our Lady's message are very grave, it's also a time for great hope. In fact, we can expect it to get worse before it gets better. And, you know, Our Lady of Good Success, I know that can sound strange to the modern American ear, you know, as though, you know, the way that we think of success, it sounds like some kind of Catholic version of the uh, health and wealth gospel, you know, Our Lady of the Big Payoff, okay? It's not that. Um, Buen suceso in in Spanish means um, good success, we translate it, but it means great event, and the official title of Our Lady of Good Success in Quito is, and I say in Quito because the devotion actually began in Spain in the Middle Ages, but the Quito devotion, uh, her title is La Nuestra Señora del Buen Suceso de la Purificación. Right? This would translate literally as Our Lady of the Good Event of the Purification. And so the great or good event uh, in her title <coughs> refers directly to the Feast of the Purification, which is also the presentation of the child Jesus in the temple in which Jesus was first offered to God the Father in the temple by the hands of the Blessed Virgin, foreshadowing his self-offering on the cross and then revealing her role as co-redemptrix, which even though that uh, there's some forces in Rome that don't like that title, that is one of her titles, co-redemptrix. Now, according to a a letter from the sisters back in 2017 on the... uh, the anniversary, interestingly, of the first time I visited, and I went back in 2017 to see how the devotion had grown, and it really has. But the, the sisters put out a letter. She said, Mary's role as co-redemptrix did not begin at the foot of the cross, but at this moment of the presentation, she already acts in this capacity. Moreover, the offering of her divine son is accompanied with the complete offering of herself. Christ the Redeemer offering himself the co-redemptrix, the Virgin Mother of God, offering Christ, the Most Blessed Virgin completely offering herself. This is the greatest sacrifice to ever take place in the temple. That's really profound when you stop and think about it. You know? And so the sisters really see this devotion as a call to pray for vocations to the priesthood and the religious life. And I'll tell you why. Because Mary says, when almost will, all will seem lost and paralyzed, She says, this will mark the arrival of my hour when I, in a marvelous way, will dethrone the proud and cursed Satan, trampling him under my feet. Now, that's an obvious reference to Genesis 3.15 when God said to the serpent, I'll put enmities between thee and the woman 
and thy seed and her seed. She shall crush thy head, and thou shalt lie in wait for her heel. Right? This, this is the self-same triumph of the Immaculate Heart, I believe, that Mary was talking about at Fatima. Uh, you know, this, and it consists primarily in the restoration of the Catholic Church. You know, Mary crushed the serpent's head by, by her fiat, by, by agreeing to become the mother of God. Uh, Jesus crushed the serpent's head by a sacrifice on the cross. And so the, the key to crushing the serpent's head today lies in the restoration of the church because the graces that Christ won on the Holy Cross are communicated to the world precisely through the sacraments of the Catholic Church, which is the body of Christ. But, you know, without the priesthood, those channels of grace are cut off. And so the good sisters see the, the good event of the presentation of Jesus, our high priest in the temple, as a call to pray for vocations to the priesthood and to the religious life. Now, I wrote a little book called Mary of Good Success and the Restoration of the Church, and in that I suggested that good success might also be understood perhaps more dynamically as a happy ending. And so let me ask you, what's the happy ending for a Christian? Heaven, of course. Uh, but how often is heaven achieved only after much suffering? Now, I asked that question at uh, Holy Apostles Seminary in Cromwell, Connecticut years ago, <clears throat> and um, Father, Bill Father Bill McCarthy, God rest his soul, he was already 80 years old, I said, how, how often is heaven achieved only after much suffering? He, in the back room, he says, always. Yeah, and, but suffering can be good for us. You know, according to St. Poitier, who lived through the Arian heresy, he said it's a prerogative of the Church that she is the vanquisher when she is persecuted, that she captures our intellects when her doctrines are questioned, that she conquers all at the very moment when she is abandoned by all. And that's where devotion to Our Lady comes in, because she promised heavenly consolation to those who were devoted to her. She prophesied during that epoch, okay, the time we're living now, there will be a great devotion to me, for I am queen of heaven under many invocations. And that's true. You know, Our Lady of uh, Guadalupe, Our Lady of Lourdes, Our Lady of Fatima, Our Lady of Good Success, it's all the same lady. And you may already be devoted to Our Lady under a particular title, like Fatima or Guadalupe. You know, uh, John Paul II named Our Lady of Guadalupe the Empress of the Americas, both North and South America. But I would point out that here in the United States, we have two uniquely uh, American Marian devotions, Our Lady of Good Help and Our Lady of America. Queen of Heaven visited the United States at least twice in, in apparitions that are approved by the Church and has given us, you and me as lay Catholics, uh, a particular mission through these approved apparitions. Number one, to teach the faith, especially to the children. Okay, we, lay people have to take it upon themselves to pass on the faith. Number two, to imitate the virtues of Mary and the Holy Family, and most especially Mary's purity. And then number three, devotion to the indwelling of the Holy Trinity. Um, in other words, to, to, to strive to remain always in a state of grace and to be devoted to the presence of God 
that lives within us when we are in a state of grace. Jesus said, if you keep my commandments, uh, you know, the, the Father and I will come to you and we will abide with you. Uh, St. Paul says, do you not know that your bodies are the temple of the Holy Spirit? The, the, you know, um, when any um, person of the Trinity acts, all the persons act because there's only one God. And so when you're in a state of grace, God is present within you, right? God's Spirit is within you. That's what our Lord meant when he said the kingdom of God is within you. And so we need to be devoted to that. Now that's, some people say that's a tall order. It's like, I'm, I'm no mystic. You know, uh, I, don't, I don't really uh, uh, expect I'm going to be much good at, at contemplating the, the Godhead. Well, St. Thomas, or not St. Thomas, but Thomas Akempis, uh, the author of Imitation of Christ, had a lot to say about that. We're going to start a series on that next week on this program. But when we come back, we're going to talk more about Our Lady of Good Success and Our Lady of America and what that message is from her to you. When we come back with lots more New Nonsense Catholic right after this. Stay with us. We'll be back after these messages. Welcome back to uh, No Nonsense Catholic. Great to have you along with us talking about Our Lady of Good Success, Our Lady of Good Help, Our Lady of America. All the same lady. You know, our uh, lady is the patron of our country. Uh, She was named the patron of our country in the 19th century by our bishops. Our Lady, the Immaculate Virgin, patroness of America. And that is the official title of our patron for Catholics in the United States, and it is under this invocation of the Immaculate Conception that we are to understand the identity of Our Lady of America. That's who she is. Uh, also, it's the, to the sisters of the Royal Convent of the Immaculate Conception that Our Lady of Good Success appeared. So I think there's a spiritual connection uh, between these devotions. And this common message of a time of crisis in our day that's only relieved by a true devotion to the Blessed Virgin Mary and to our Lord. And that's no nonsense. Now, we were talking about um, the uh, devotion to Our Lady of Good Success being uh, one of praying for vocations for the priesthood and the religious life. Well, today, coincidentally, not only is it the Feast of the Presentation of the Child Jesus and the present. Uh, purification of the Blessed Virgin Mary and Candlemas and the Feast of Our Lady of Good Success. But it was chosen this year, 2nd of February, to be the annual World Day of Prayer for the Consecrated Life. So, last week, in anticipation of this event, the uh, Center for Applied Research in the Apostolate, or CARA, at Georgetown University, published its annual survey on U.S. men and women who professed perpetual vows to the religious life in the year 2021, okay? So uh, the, the men and women who have become nuns, sisters, religious brothers, and religious priests. Now, according to their survey, the religious of the profession class of 2021 were mostly 19 years old when they first considered a vocation to the religious life. The average age is 37, which is down a year, uh, a year younger than in 2020, 
And of course, this is not an army of 37-year-olds, okay? That's it's an average. Most of them are 34 or younger, the youngest being uh, 24 and the eldest being 70, which I kind of threw the average off a little bit, I think. Um, it says 90% of the respondents said that someone encouraged them. Remember, I was talking about the, the pad answer, that prayer and advice and thought. And, uh, and so um, these people who have become professed religious have someone to encourage them. Uh, although it says that men are more likely than women to be encouraged by a parish priest, friend, mother, or fellow parishioner. Four in five participated in one or more religious programs or activities before entering religious institute, like youth group or young adult ministry or World Youth Day. 18% of them went to World Youth Day, it says. And the survey highlights that the 2021 group of newly professed religious is highly educated. 70% entered the religious institute with at least a bachelor's degree. Two in 10 earned a graduate degree before joining religious life. All right, so not part of their formation, but actually had advanced degrees before they became religious. And three-fourths of the new professed religious born in the United States, um, and of course, this is, we're talking about professed religious in the United States, so uh, 75% of them were born here. Uh, and of those born abroad, the most common countries of origin were Vietnam and the Philippines. Seven in ten respondents to the report, uh, or rather, seven in ten respondents report that their primary race or ethnicity was white. Thirteen percent identified as Asian, Pacific Islander, or Native Hawaiian. One in ten Hispanic. Four percent African American, African American, and two percent of mixed race. On average, the respondents who were born outside the U.S. were 23 years old when they first came to the country and lived in the United States for 15 years before their perpetual profession. Now, think about all of these statistics on this latest crop of professed religious in the U.S. This is a country of over 50 million Catholics, okay? And you just heard the numbers, 70% this and 13% that and 18% the other. I gave you all the numbers but one. The total number of the newly professed U.S. religious for 2021, which is 182. Now, that's up from 172 in 2020. We had 10 more in the past year. 182 men and women religious perpetched, uh, professed perpetual vows in 2021, 62 sisters and nuns, 60 brothers and priests out of 50 million Catholics less than 200 vocations. Okay. This is why the sisters at the Royal Convent of the Immaculate Conception are telling us that we need to pray for vocations. Okay, And, and I believe that religious vocations were what Our Lady uh, of Good Success was talking about 400 years ago when she said that in our day there would be almost no virgin souls. Okay, you know, And the average age of these vocations is almost 40. Now, most of them are younger than that, but still when you average out, uh, you know, and, and what about the generation that's coming up? You know, the generation that was raised on 24-7 uh, internet and TV and smartphones. Our Lady said innocence will almost no longer be found in children. You know, because of smartphones, specifically, the average age of an American child's first exposure to hardcore pornography is 11 years old although many uh, uh, have their first exposure uh, at younger ages, eight or nine. 
Our Lady of Fatima said more souls are going to hell for sins of the flesh than for any other reason. That was in 1917. How much more so, I wonder, today? And this is also consistent with our, the message of Our Lady of America. She said, U.S. Catholics must imitate her purity specifically, imitate her virtues, specifically her purity. You know, the final apparition of Our Lady of America to Sister Mary Ephraim Noisel was December 20th, 1959, coincidentally the day that I was born. Now, who in 1959 could have predicted the depths of depravity into which our culture has fallen during the intervening 62 years? Well, Our Lady, that's who. And not just in 15, or 1959, but as far back as 1599. And she calls upon us to imitate her purity, to imitate the virtues of the Holy Family at Nazareth. You know, and she's, this is the cure, she says, for, for our, a country literally drenched in sexual perversion and impurity. Um, what Our Lady of Good Success described as a filthy ocean. You know, I, I found that Our Lady of America's call to imitate the Holy Family and to receive the graces obtained through her intercession to be absolutely consistent with Our Lady's messages to Mother Mariana when she appeared as Our Lady of Good Success and predicted our current situation 400 years ago. You know, and, and as I mentioned earlier in the program, Our Lady told Mother Mariana back in the 1600s that devotion to her in our day would be a great consolation to the faithful because she said, I'm queen of heaven under many invocations. And that's why I think it's important for Catholics today to respond to the messages uh, given by Our Lady to the Catholics in the United States, uh, especially now, you know, now that Catholicism is being continually misrepresented uh, uh, by the likes of Joe Biden and Nancy Pelosi and, and John Kerry. And, of course, their accomplices in the mainstream media, and God help us, even in the episcopacy. You know, the, the, the program that Our Lady of America brings to us promises the graces to reject temptations of our time and to give us uh, uh, an emphasis on certain church teachings, which are an antidote to the pervasive sins of today. You know, um, <clears throat> given today's almost unbridled sexual immorality, it would be easy to conclude that therein lies the complete focus of Our Lady's message on purity. But but I think that's short-sighted. I think that what she's asking is much more than that. And certainly, I mean, while sexual purity is clearly among what she's asking, she's also she's looking for a total purity of mind and heart. She's looking for us to, to, to remain in a state of grace. She's calling for, for the purity of thought and action and sacramental life that results in the ultimate purity, which is sanctifying grace. This is the kingdom of God within you, to, to be in a state of grace. That's the happy ending. That's the triumph of the Immaculate Heart. That's the good success. And that's no nonsense. Because that's what our Lord was, you know, remember when he rebuked the, uh, the, the apostles, it wasn't because they woke him up or because they prayed for help. It was because they were afraid, even though he was present with them. So be not afraid. Okay, um, for the, uh, the remainder of this segment and probably into the next, I want to talk a little bit about my hero, St. Bernard of Clairvaux, the great medieval saint and doctor of the church, uh, known as the last of the fathers and the mellifluous doctor Pope Benedict XVI uh, pointed out that 
In the face of the complex dialectical reasoning and theology of his time, Bernard insists that Jesus alone is mel in ore and aure melos in corde jubilum, that is, honey in the mouth, song to the ear, and jubilation in the heart. The the title Dr. Mellifluous, attributed to Bernard by tradition, stems precisely from this. Indeed, his praise of Jesus Christ, according to Benedict, flowed like honey. Now, amongst the doctors of the church, uh, Bernard has also ordered the title Marian Doctor because of his great love and filial devotion to the Mother of Christ, and especially because he wanted to, uh, to enkindle a love for the Blessed Virgin Mary in everyone he encountered. It was an important part of, of his ministry. And I shared that love and devotion to Our Lady. I loved Our Lady before I knew about Bernard of Clairvaux. And I can say without hesitation that if it was not for the powerful intercession of the Blessed Virgin, I would not be Catholic today. You know, it was the Holy Spirit overflowing from the Blessed Virgin, as St. Bernard would say, uh, by whom I was granted the, the grace of conversion. And, and this, I believe, is the main reason that I'm so drawn to the spirituality of St. Bernard, although he is certainly um, has many attractive things about his spirituality. Uh, including his deep, deep commitment to common sense. Uh, not unlike uh, his uh, person that followed after him, Thomas Acampus, and also St. Thomas Aquinas as well. So we're going to talk about that and, and more when we come back for our final segment on No Nonsense Catholic. Gosh, it's great to be back in the saddle. Great to be with you. Thanks for being with us, and we'll be right back after these messages. So stay tuned. Okay, back with our, our final segment here on No Nonsense Catholic, Virgin Most Powerful Radio. Matthew Arnold, glad to have you with us. We're talking about Marian devotion according to St. Bernard of Clairvaux. And, you know, Our Lady didn't so much feature in St. Bernard's writings as, as permeate his entire ministry and really his whole life. I mean, even when he doesn't specifically mention Our Lady, she's still present you know, um, because, you know, in his many letters to prominent people who asked for counsel, the powerful sermons that he delivered to his Cistercian brothers, when, whenever, you know, he exhorts them to silence or humility or purity of heart or filial obedience, these are the virtues of Mary. These are the virtues that Our Lady wants us to imitate. But, but um, according to Bernard, these are not just virtues that dwell in Our Lady, that, but according to her, they are, they are dispensed by her. You know, she's the one that, that uh, dispenses these virtues. And he, he invested so much in her powerful intercession that he said, God has deigned that we obtain nothing except through the hands of Mary. Mary is our mediatrix, and we receive the Holy Spirit that overflows from her. Hence the doctrine that Mary is mediatrix of all graces. Mediatrix of all graces, co-redemptrix, this really comes from the teaching of Bernard de Clairvaux. Uh, And they were so influential, so esteemed by the Church, that they were actually incorporated into the sacred liturgy. Uh, Bernard composed many of the hymns and prayers to Our Lady that we uh, still sing today. Uh, The Ave Maristella, right? Hail, Star of the Sea. Uh, The Memorare, 
Remember, O Most Gracious Virgin Mary, etc. One of my favorite medieval songs, Daily, Daily Sing to Mary. They even uh, they sing that at our uh, Mass sometimes. That um, was composed by Bernard of Clairvaux and, and many others. Uh, and, you know, Bernard's also uh, associated with the Salve Regina, the Hail Holy Queen. Now, he did not write that prayer. Uh, it was composed by um, Bishop Adamar, who was the papal legate to the First Crusade. But when St. Bernard first heard the Salve Regina, he was so moved by it, the story goes, that he fell to his knees and he beat his breast three times as he said, O Clemens, O Pia, O Dulcis Virgo Maria. Right? O Clement, O Loving, O Sweet Virgin Mary. And such was the influence of St. Bernard that as the story spread, his spontaneous words became a permanent part of the prayer, the Salve Regina. So even though he didn't write the prayer, he did write that, uh, you know, that little coda for it. And, and it was his idea to put the Salve Regina into the divine office, right? That's how we end the church's liturgical day. The final hour of the Liturgy of the Hours closes with the Salve Regina. You know, and, and that practice led to the custom of concluding the Holy Rosary with the, in the same way. You know, in one of his homilies, St. Bernard said of Our Lady, quote, in you and for you and from you, the kindly hand of the Almighty recreates everything that he has created. Again, showing that all the graces that flow uh, from the sacraments of the church, all the graces that flow from, from prayer, all the graces that flow uh, uh, from Christ, that, you know, the graces won on the Holy Cross come to us through the hands of the Blessed Virgin. And that's why Bernard contemplates Mary to discover how to accept God's restoration in our own lives, uh, to become, as St. Paul says, a new creation, right? 2 Corinthians 5.17. And it is through his, uh, according to you know, uh, Bennett Sixteenth, he said, it's through his most eloquent praises of the Blessed Virgin that St. Bernard reveals the mystery of God. You know, we're going to talk about... Uh, um, inner conversation and contemplating the Holy Trinity and what to do when contemplating the Godhead is perhaps beyond you. It's beyond me spiritually, I must say, and there are other things. One of those things being devotion to Our Lady. He says, St. Bernard says that the Virgin Mary reveals the mystery of God and of man and the mystery of her fiat her yes to God that enabled the relation, or the restoration of the relationship between God and man that was broken in the Garden of Eden. It all depended on Mary's affirmation, be it done to me according to thy word. You know, because of her fiat, the same Holy Spirit that overshadowed her at the Incarnation overflows from her to enter the Christian soul and fill us with the indwelling presence of God to which she now calls us to be devoted. Oh, it's, <laughs> I'm sorry. It, sometimes you stop and think about these things. It's overwhelming. And, I, and I'm so glad that Benedict XVI, you know, that Cardinal Ratzinger had the opportunity to be Pope, even for such a short period, because of the wonderful legacy that he left for us, a legacy of teaching that shouldn't be forgotten. And he said... Uh, for Bernard, true knowledge of God consists in a personal, profound experience of Jesus Christ and of his love. And, dear brothers and sisters, he said, this is true for every Christian. Faith is first and foremost a personal 
intimate encounter with Jesus, it is having an experience of his closeness, his friendship, and his love. It is in this way that we learn how to know him even better, to love him, and to follow him more and more. In other words, it is through a personal relationship with Jesus that we learn to know, love, and serve God. And for St. Bernard, there is a, a figure of Mary that makes her own fiat to God, uh, uh, the Virgin as guiding star. Okay? And that's what's behind his hymn, Ave Maris Stella, Hail Star of the Sea. You know, it was uh, a particular favorite of those who chant the Divine Office uh, back in the Middle Ages. It's still sung today in the Liturgy of the Hours and, and the Little Office of the Blessed Virgin Mary. Because for Bernard, Mary is the star of the sea, the stormy sea of life. She's the guide for all of us. She is the guide for all of Christian history because she is the perfect example of what it means to be a Christian. She's the most perfect example of what it means to be human, right? She is, you know, our Lord, of course, was, was man, but he was also God. But Mary's a creature, and as such, she is what Bishop Sheen says, humanity's solitary boast. You know, and Vatican II picked up that theme in Lumen Gentium, which proclaimed Mary to be the model Christian and the model of the church. You know, so we're, the point is that we're not alone. You are not alone in your quest for God. You know, even if you're the only one in your family who is Catholic or the only one who still practices the faith, you know, you haven't been um, abandoned you know, you, you're, not, you're not tossed to the, the fate of the stormy sea because you have a guiding star in the Blessed Virgin Mary. St. Bernard says, whoever you are that perceive yourself during this mortal existence to be drifting in treacherous waters at the mercy of the wind and the waves rather than walking on firm ground, turn not away your eyes from the splendor of this guiding star unless you wish to be submerged by the storm. Look at the star. Call upon Mary. With her for your guide you shall not go astray. While invoking her you shall never lose heart. If she walks before you, you shall not grow weary. If she shows you favor, you shall reach the goal. And the goal is Jesus. Benedict XVI said, Bernard had no doubts. His motto, per Mariam ad Jesum, through Mary, we are led to Jesus. So finally, St. Bernard tells us to, to, that to live and to love as Mary did, we must pray as Mary did. And in order to do that, we must be aware of the danger of excessive activity. This is not just Bernard of Clairvaux. This is Benedict XVI telling us this that there has to be a balance between action and contemplation. Too many Christians are too darn busy, even if they're busy about the things of the church. Okay? St. Bernard said action and contemplation are close companions. They live together in one house on equal terms. Martha and Mary are sisters. I love that. Now he's invoking our Lord's words to, to, to Mary of, or Martha of Bethany when she complained that her sister Mary had left her to do all the work of preparing supper. He said, Martha, Martha, you are anxious and worried about many things. There is need of only one thing. 
Mary has chosen the better part, and it will not be taken from her. You see, Bernard taught that no matter what your state of life, no matter what your vocation, and that includes those who govern the church as well as you and me, an imbalance between prayer and activity is a real and present danger. He said, too many occupations often lead to hardness of heart. They are suffering for the spirit, loss of intelligence, and dispersion of grace. Okay. That explains a lot about the situation in the church today. Okay. And Pope Benedict said that this is a message for our day. He said, how useful for us also is this call to the primacy of prayer. He tells us that St. Bernard of Clairvaux was able to harmonize the monk's aspiration for solitude and the tranquility of the cloister with the urgency of important and complex missions in the service of the Church, and to, quote, entrust this difficulty of finding a balance between interiority and necessary work to the intercession of the Virgin whom he loved with tender and filial devotion. So I'm going to give the last word to St. Bernard himself. He said, In danger, in distress, in uncertainty, think of Mary. Call upon Mary. And so that you may obtain the help of her prayers, never forget the example of her life. If you follow her, you cannot falter. If you pray to her, you cannot despair. If you think of her, you cannot err. If she sustains you, you will not stumble. If she protects you, you have nothing to fear. If she guides you, you will never flag. If she is favorable to you, you will attain your goal. You know, I mentioned at the top of the show, I just got over the world's most popular disease, you know, and and a lot of people are really concerned about it because they're afraid. You know, and our Lord rebuked the disciples when when he quieted the storm, not for waking him, not, not for asking his help, but for being afraid. Why did you fear, O you of little faith? See, Our Lady of Good Success, Our Lady of America, Our Lady of Good Help, she's promised there will be a great restoration in the church, not the end of the world. Okay, so we wait that coming restoration just like we wait the second coming of Christ, not in fear, but in joyful hope. Do not be afraid. That's no nonsense. All right. Thank you again, as always, for listening. Great to be back with you, uh, uh, back on the road to complete recovery, let's hope. And uh, look forward to being with you again next week. We're going to be talking um, about these matters further, about how to um, to implement this uh, interior life that we are being called to by the Church and by the Blessed Virgin. So I hope you can join us then. In the meantime... Thank you so much for listening, and may God richly bless you and your family.